Good morning. Greetings to each of you. Privilege to be together again. It's a privilege to uh, be a part of the family of God. I'm, I uh, again want to say I, I am, am enjoying the, uh, the privilege of getting to know you all a little bit better, and I'm looking forward to fellowship meal afterwards. I've titled my message this morning, The Father's Role in the Home. This is directed toward the men, but ladies, listen carefully. Uh, much of what I have to say to men applies to the women as well. But uh, we understand that God has given the man the leadership role in the home. But without your support, women, uh, everything will fall apart. We've got to work together. You know, a father's role in the development of a child is discounted dramatically in society today because of the emphasis on uh, individual freedom. Any, anything that restricts an individual's freedom is considered negative. A mother has a biological and an emotional attachment to her children that a, a father doesn't have initially. And as a result, we see many single-parent homes where the mother is caring for the children and the father is absent. The resulting statistics are frightening. 63% of teen suicides come from fatherless homes. 90% of all uh, runaways and homeless children are from fatherless homes. These statistics aren't exactly up to date, and so uh, it's not getting any better. 85% of children with behavioral problems come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers are from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth in prison come from fatherless homes. A Jennifer Roback Morse wrote, in an, uh, wrote an article titled, Parents or Prison, wrote, and I quote, Without two parents working together as a team, the child has more difficulty learning the combination of empathy, reciprocity, fairness, and self-command that people ordinarily take per, for granted. If a child does not learn this at home, society will have to manage his behavior in some way. He may have to be re rehabilitated, incarcerated, or otherwise restrained. In this case, prisons will substitute for parents. Because so many men are not present in this generation, the statistics for the next generation are going to be even worse. And that's, that's frightening indeed. The problem of absentee fathers is considered to be the single most important social problem facing our nation. Now I'm confident that these, uh, that the homes of our conservative Mennonites uh, are not represented uh, by these statistics, but I hope that this can help us understand the significance of the role of the father. 
When the father is absent, things begin falling apart. So there are seven areas of responsibility that I would like to consider this morning. The first is the responsibility of being a good role model. Fathers, you are a role model, whether you like it or not, whether you're a good one or a bad one. You are the role model for your children. Not only that, your life and example is the default setting for your children. Your life and example is the default setting for your children. Your life and example is what is being programmed into your children's mind as what is normal. This is the way it's done. That's what they're thinking. If your life and example is less than what it should be, your children will need outside influence and teaching in order for them to do otherwise. You cannot expect your children to rise above your example. You cannot expect your children to progress any further than you are willing to go in your walk with the Lord and with your church. If you take a casual attitude toward your responsibilities, wherever they are, in the home, at work, in your relationship with Jesus Christ or with the church, that is most likely the way your children will do as well. We can't get away from it as much as we would like to. It's the way it is. We have to recognize it. Uh, if we're going to provide a better role model for our children. And being a role model is not as much about what you do, but really about who you are. It's about your character. It's been said that your character is what you are when no one looking is looking. Uh, and you know what? Your children know you in that way. You can't hide from them. They know who you are. Paul's admonition to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, 15, and 16 is a challenge. He said, For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. And brethren, I ask, is my walk, is your walk with the Lord of sufficient quality that we can say to our children, follow me as I follow Christ. If not, then do something about it. Remember that what they see in your life, what they, my children see in my life, is programmed into their minds as normal. Our example, as we looked at those statistics, our, our example has a powerful influence on the direction that our children will go in life and the way they will relate to others. Uh, fathers, the way you relate to your wife, to the mother of your children, has a big influence on them. Your sons are learning how to be husbands uh, as they watch you relate to their mother. Your daughters are learning what to expect from a husband as they watch you relate 
to their mother. The question you need to ask yourself is, uh, is this. Is the kind of relationship that I have with my wife what I would desire for my children? If not, then do something about it. Again, what they see in your life is being programmed into their minds as normal. But you know, one of the facts of life is that we're not always going to get it right. We're going to fail. But what we do with failure provides a pathway for them to follow in dealing with their own failure. Uh, it may be that you're struggling with an example that was less than ideal. As you're seeing, as your children are seeing you struggling to change those negative uh, patterns in your own life, it provides them with an example of how to rise above those areas of failure in their own life. But that requires openness and honesty and a willingness to say, I'm sorry. Uh, that's something that we all try to instill in our children, a willingness to say, I'm sorry. But if it's never modeled before them, it's going to be pretty difficult for them to make that a pattern in their lives. In order to pro provide a proper role model, we must keep our walk with the Lord up to date. Uh, this desire in itself will be observed. We can't from hide from our children. They will see if we're genuine. I didn't say perfect. We're not going to get there in this life. But they will see if we're genuine. And so we must be deliberate in all that we do. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, lest they depart from thine heart all the days of thy life, and teach them thy son and thy son's sons. Second responsibility is your, the husband of your children's mother. It's been said that the greatest thing a man can do uh, for his children is to love their mother. Uh, your children are a result of that relationship, and so that makes it primary in your life. You must protect that relationship. You will find that as you're united in heart and mind as a couple, uh, your collective role as parents uh, and your individual role as a father will be much easier. Husbands, when you made your wedding vows, you assumed leadership in your home. Uh, we consider the wedding vows as a transfer of leadership. The groom's father is relinquishing his leadership, his leadership of his son. The son is moving out from under the authority of his father and taking on the responsibility of his home. Uh, the bride's father is relinquishing his leadership of his daughter and giving that to her husband. The daughter is moving out from under the, leader, the authority of her father and placing her trust and confidence in her husband to provide and protect her. Christ is our example. Uh, Ephesians 5, 20, 23 to 29 gives us the relationship of 
between Christ and the church as our example to follow in relating to our wives. Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man uh, ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Uh, we think of that relationship that Christ had with the church in a spiritual sense. But that relationship was intensely personal as he was hanging on the cross. And so it is a spiritual relationship, yes, but there is an intense spirit, uh, physical side to it. My mind goes to Paul's letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians uh, 8 where he tells the uh, Corinthians how the churches of Macedonia gave so liberally. Let's turn to that. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Second Corinthians 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the ch uh, churches of Macedonia, how, then it, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Uh, they gave themselves to the Lord and to us. Uh, brethren, you need to give yourselves to the Lord and then to your wives. Uh, I can't tell you what that means in your relationship with you and your wife, but I know what that means in my relationship with my wife. Uh, leadership is not a matter of retaining rights. It is doing what is best. It is giving what is, is best. It's giving ourselves from the heart. Christ is our example. Uh, he gave himself to the church with a purpose, the purpose of developing her uh, to the fullest potential as his bride. And communication is so important in that. Uh, for, most of men, that for most of us men, that doesn't come easy. Years ago, we had a brother in the church uh, when you would ask him how his day was, he would say, well, it was a day and it's over. That won't get you very far uh, in your relationship with your wife. Uh, if we want our wives to understand us, we need to be willing to talk. I know uh, that you hear that all the time. But you know, years ago, my mother-in-law, when she was still living, it was always interesting to read her uh, letters because she would go into great detail 
about what she did each day. And I know that if I stop and listen to my wife, she will do the same thing. And I, I'm trying to do that. But somehow, it's difficult to do that, to stop and listen. You know what's even harder? Telling the details of my day. Uh, but this is, if we want our wives to fulfill our desire for love and affection and companionship, we need to communicate with them. Tell them our sorrows, our joys. Talk to them about what we're doing, about the struggles that we're facing, about the decisions that we need to make. They want to be a part of our lives. And we want them to be a part of our lives. That's why we got married. But we need to give what it takes to do so. We need to talk. Uh, I'm sure your relationship is different than mine. But in your relationship, do what it takes to build that communication. Do you know what it takes, what motivates your wife? Do you know what it motivates your wife? Uh, talk to her. Find out. Uh, when you find out, encourage her in it. Do as much as you can to help her develop her interest. The old saying, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, is really true. Uh, but anything we can do to, do to help her develop as a person is going to help the family, help everybody. Husband, uh, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The third area of responsibility I want to talk about is that of leadership in the home. Men uh, giving leadership in the home. Men were specifically designed to fill their role as husband, father, leader, provider, protector of their homes and the communities. Their physical and psychological makeup makes it much more possible for them to fill these responsibilities. Men are goal-oriented. Goal they're rational thinking. They're linear. They're, they have a linear uh, way of, th of thinking. You know, two plus two equals four. If we do this and this, this will result. Uh, they're physically strong. They're more visionary. Women were specifically designed to fill their role as wife, mother, caregiver, nurturer and comforter. Uh, they are relationally oriented rather than goal oriented. They're concerned about how people get along. Uh, they are intuitive, in, more intuitive in their thinking. You know, I feel like she's going to be upset if this happens. So we don't do that. And they're usually right. Uh, it's not a wrong way of thinking. It's just different than we as men are. Uh, their, their emotional makeup helps them to be more effective in a supportive role. Genesis 1.26 tells us that, men, that man was created in the image of God. Male and female created he them. And so we need to conclude from that that the unique, unique characteristics 
of men and women are need of both men and women are needed to make up the image of God. The New Testament teaches that the relationship of marriage is a type of the relationship between uh, Christ and the church, and that's really only believers can understand that. But I believe that the union of a man and woman operating as one, the way God designed, reveals to the world around us the image of God. You know, men and women will always be attracted to each other in the same way that a bull is attracted to a cow. But a man and woman who have been joined together in holy matrimony and are living as one will draw those around them toward God. Since the curse of sin, both men and women have been trying to wiggle out of their responsibilities. Men have been trying to escape, escape the responsibility of leadership, and women have been trying to usurp the authority of men. In the opening, I read those statistics relating to what happens when men run from their responsibilities. But I expect that if studies were done to examine the result of women taking leadership, uh, the results would be somewhat similar. But that's not politically correct, so it's most likely not going to happen, that study. But 1 Corinthians 11 speaks to the order of headship in the home and in the society. It's the way God designed for the human family to function. Now I know that this poses some, uh, some strong challenges to some couples. Some men are by nature followers, and some women by na are by nature leaders. And when you find a couple that are married in that, it provides real challenges. Men struggle to take that leadership role. Women struggle to submit to someone. Some close friends of ours, uh, the man said he would much rather allow, he would much rather follow somebody when they're uh, driving somewhere. He just doesn't like to lead. Uh, the wife says, oh, no, no, I'd much rather be in the lead. Uh, I have been blessed by that relationship that I see. They are taking their, their roles. But it's something that they, they both have to work on. Uh, leadership and responsibility go hand in hand. For you men, that means the buck stops here. There's no area in your home life that you can blame on someone else. Sure, there's a lot of outside influences, but you're going to answer to God for what you did to counteract those outside influences. Leadership, to be effective, must be personable. That means it's tempered by love. You need to consider the desires of your wife and your children. The fourth responsibility is the responsibility to be a disciplinarian. Men here also, the buck stops here. We are ultimately responsible for the way our children behave. 
Uh, that authority, that responsibility has been given by God. It must be re recognized that any authority to discipline that the mother has is a delegated authority. And she does have responsibility. You're not there all the time. But the responsibility for the discipline of your children rests primarily on you. You as a couple must have clear objectives in mind, clear expectations, clear goals for your children. The primary goal of discipline is self-discipline. Uh, so everything we should do, everything we do should be designed to bring our children to the place where they're able to decide to do what's right on their own. Uh, when they're young, harness the desire to please you as much as possible. Then when the, that desire will be transferred to their heavenly father when they come to the age of accountability. Ephesians 6.4 reads, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Colossians 3.21, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. These two verses speak very specifically to the way that we tend to discipline our children when we're doing only for selfish reasons. I remember as a boy, I was maybe eight or nine, uh, our family went to visit a neighboring family one evening and the adults were sitting in a circle in the kitchen, were visiting, and we children were off playing somewhere else. And one of their daughters who was about my age uh, misbehave in some way, and I don't remember what happened, but I re well remember him saying, Debbie, and he pointed at his knee, and she came and uh, bowed over his knee, and he proceeded to spank her right there in front of everybody. She, uh, she left the room crying, of course, and for the rest of the evening, she hid herself in the closet. There was no question he was taking his responsibility as the disciplinarian, but I doubt whether he had the love and respect of his child, and I question his love for her. Our children must never <clears throat> be able to truly question our love for them. Love must be the motivating force for our discipline. If anything, if it's anything else, it won't yield the desires we, re, uh, the results we desire. But having said that, that love will only be understood if they're secure in our love when they're not dis, when they're not misbehaving. Uh, sometimes discipline is necessary. Uh, one of our daughters found her three-year-old daughter uh, out in the middle of a busy highway in front of their house. She ran and caught her quickly, as, as quickly as she could, and as soon as she got her into the house, she spanked her soundly. I doubt that her daughter understood at the moment 
But for her safety, she had to learn, you don't go out there. It was for her love. But her love for her uh, needs to go beyond that. But it was required at that point. Uh, when our children get the impression that we're disciplining them out of anger or because we're irritated by them, uh, it tends to cause the same response in them, irritation. Our discipline must be consistent with our ultimate goal of bringing our children to Christ and to obedience to the word. Again, the goal of discipline is self-discipline. The reason we children, the reason we discipline our children for lying is not just because it's wrong. It's to help them learn not to do it because it's wrong. There's a two-stage two process in learning self-discipline. First of all, it's learning what is right and wrong. And then learning the discipline of not doing what is wrong and choosing to do what is right. And so consistency is so important. Some days we feel positive and upbeat. We can handle things properly. Some days we feel moody and depressed and irritable, and we react that way. Uh, if we're going to teach self-discipline, we need to model it. We need to model self-discipline. Uh, at what point do your children obey you? The first time you speak, the second time you speak, or when your voice gets louder in frustration. Uh, what that means is that they have learned that no doesn't mean no until you get to a certain level of frustration. And at what point uh, <coughs> They, you, our voice gets louder and louder because of that frustration. You know, why do we allow ourselves to get into a rut like that? I think it's probably because we've lost our focus and we're just existing and maybe also that we have not learned properly to, to discipline ourselves, to expect them to respond right away. So our children must learn that no, me, no means no. And the only way to do, them, do that is to tell them very clearly what you expect. And when they disobey, correct them promptly. If you're not, if you're not consistent, they feel insecure. And after a while, uh, if they don't know, they learn how to manipulate you to get what they want. And they will go through life uh, always trying to get their own way because they never needed to learn to accept no. So whatever we do, however, it must be done, must be motivated by love. So our, the number one goal for our children is to bring them to Christ. The number two is to accept no for an answer. And three is to teach them to work and to like to work. These are things that are the responsibility of the father.
Fifthly, we want to look at the responsibility to be the provider. You know, we it's probably the one that we're most comfortable with as men. Uh, we think, first of all, of physical things, and uh, that's, that's uh, you know, that's a big part of responsibility. But it also includes spiritual things as well. Uh, it's a real source of satisfaction for us men to be able to provide for our families. Uh, but there are some challenges here that we need to talk about. We all find ourselves at different uh, places economically. Uh, a young father starting out on a shoestring budget has a different challenge than a, a well-established businessman. Uh, but one principle applies to everyone. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We need that, brethren. Contentment with where we're at. The economic system of our world runs on discontent. Uh, the one that dies with the most toys wins. Life is a game and dollars are the way we keep score. These are the messages we get uh, from our society. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, I think, fathers, it's important for you and your wife to have an understanding of how much time you should be putting into this area of responsibility, that of providing for your families. And then be content with what God provides in that, in that uh, agreed upon area. Uh, but it's the father's responsibility to provide. And when the wife gets involved in trying to make more money, something is going to suffer. I'm not saying it's never appropriate, but uh, it should be the husband's responsibility, the father's responsibility to provide. But physically, physical things is only part of our responsibility. The emotional security for your wife and your children is very important. They need to understand that they are more important than anything else in your life other than your walk with the Lord. Uh, we need to listen to them with the intent uh, to understand. Uh, when we think of spiritual nurture and teaching, devotional time with your family, Provide good reading material for your children. Uh, some children don't read much. Others just read everything they can get their hands on. Uh, it's important that they have good reading material available. Look for teachable moments. Deuteronomy 6 says, These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Look for teachable moments, but grab them wherever you can get them. Uh, and then provide a stable church environment. Uh, and I, I trust uh, that that's uh, something that you're doing. Uh, but be there when the doors are open. 
it's, uh, it's pro a part of providing for them. The sixth area is that of a protector. Uh, you know, in the physical area, it's common sense. The husband is, uh, is the, the, uh, the one that is to, to take leadership in that. But spiritually, we're, we're looking at things much more difficult today than they were even 20 years ago. Uh, we need to be constantly alert for those negative outside influences. Uh, and the possibilities today are, are much greater than they were earlier. Modern technology has provided a lot of benefits, but with the development uh, and the combination of the internet and cell phones, we have something more insidious uh, than we have ever encountered before. And I, I use that word insidious very carefully and deliberately. The definition for that word is characterized by treachery or slyness. Operating in a slow or not easily apparent manner, more dangerous than seems evident. It's not a, a word that we use every day, but I, I hope that when you see and hear that word, you think of these devices. Technology is insidious. It gets in there when we're not aware of what's going on. It's more dangerous than we, uh, than we, we think. So fathers, uh, you need to understand what's going on. You need to understand what your children are, are, are using. Uh, if you don't know, find out. Somehow our, our youth seem to be able to pick it up without trying. They know what's out there. Uh, and we need to find out. We need to do whatever necessary to protect our children from these influences. Music is another thing that we need to be concerned about. Uh, the devil would like us to think that music is all moral. It did, you know, music is neither good nor bad. It's the lyrics. Well, that's not true. There is the music of rebellion, which is what is being played uh, in most of our radio programs. There's good music, there's bad music, and music... The, that music will drag you down into defeat and discouragement. It is a music of rebellion, and it will breed rebellion if we allow it in our homes. And God said that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So, fathers, it's your responsibility to protect your children from these kind of influences. Another thing we need to be careful with is our children's peers. Know the character of your children's friends and uh, protect them as much as we can. We can't, we can't protect, isolate our children from all the influences that are out there, but we need to be deliberate in counteracting those negative influences that we, we see. The final uh, responsibility I want to look at, I've defined as sitting at the city gates, and I take that title from the story of Ruth. When Boaz wanted to take Ruth as his wife, he went to the city gates. It was there that community, important community events were decided. And today, 
Men are needed to provide leadership for our churches and our communities. Uh, these are on top of the responsibilities that I've already spoken of. But these things need to be done. Uh, there are offices that need to be filled. School board members, janitors, Sunday school teachers, vacation Bible school superintendents, teachers, pastors, deacons, bishops, you, could, you take it from there. These are things that need to be done. And uh, men, this is where uh, we need to step forward. Uh, in order to have time for these kind of responsibilities, we as fathers need to consider very carefully our uh, priorities. We're so busy today, but I'm not sure what all it's about. I have seen a tendency to use our families uh, as a way to get out of responsibility in these areas. You know, we run to all kinds of entertainments and, and we go to all sorts of good programs. But when the call comes to serve, suddenly we think of our family. We've been ne neglecting our families. Uh, we aren't spending enough time at home. So we beg off, but we continue running. Uh, what we've done is used our families as an excuse to avoid responsibility. With so much coming at us from every direction, men, we need to think about what is most important in life. Our relationship with the Lord must be number one, but our relationship with our wives and our families has to be right beyond that. But the call of the Lord to serve outside of the home is a call that must be heeded and often, one of the qualifications to serve is a faithful family. Uh, one of the qualifications to serve in the church as given in 1 Timothy 3 is that a man must be one that ruleth, his, ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? There is a tendency to say that our families must be number one. But there are times when the call of God to serve outside of the home must be heeded as well. And we dare not put these two in competition. Uh, where God calls, he gives the grace to fulfill the responsibilities he has given. There are times when our families must be number one. But there are times when they need to take uh, second place. But the, we, need to, we need to keep that balance of fulfilling the responsibilities God calls us to. Men and women, men and you ladies, there's only one way that we can fulfill all these responsibilities that God has given. That's through constant uh, constant prayer and devotion to God. We can't do it on our own. So in closing, I'd like to challenge you fathers. 
What would God have to say about you? Could he say about you as he did about Abraham in Genesis 18:19? For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. I'm just praying that God would give us the grace as men to deal with those things in our, in our, in our own lives that would prevent him from, from saying that. Shall we kneel in prayer?